This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Morin for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. One emerging capability that raises new design questions is that of federated search or meta search, a search engine that applies the user's keyword search terms across databases or collections of content. Many government agencies, professional organizations, and private sector companies maintain multiple collections of related publications or bibliographic content. User experience specialist at UserWorks Dana Douglas focuses on current issues in meta search interfaces and findings from usability tests of meta search capabilities. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. Um, so first of all, thanks for coming. Um, again, my name is Dana Douglas and I'm from UserWorks. Uh, we're a usability consulting company just outside of Washington, DC. Uh, my co-authors um, who were unable to be here were uh, Dick Hurst, president of UserWorks, and Corey Lebson from Lebson Tech. Um, and so we're gonna be talking about user interface issues with meta search um, engines today. Um, and so one might think that search interfaces are pretty cut and dry, that we've been designing them for long enough that um, people pretty much know um, the right things to do and the wrong things to do. Basically, when in doubt, design it like Google and users will be able to figure it out, right? Um, but actually, search functionality and the features that are offered um, continue to evolve. So the, the user interfaces need to evolve as well. Um, and so one of those one of those new features or one of those new capabilities is meta search. So that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Um, and actually, if you have any questions throughout, you can feel free to ask me. Um, so we'll go ahead and just get started with what is meta search? Um, you, may have heard, you may hear it referred to as federated search, uh, but it's basically a simultaneous searching of uh, multiple uh, collections of information, um, online databases or other web resources. Um, so it's used by a lot of government agencies or other professional organizations that maintain multiple collections of information. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of kayak.com or used it. Um, that's an example of meta search um, where it will search multiple travel websites. Um, it'll search Expedia and cheap tickets and orbits um, all at once rather than you going to each site and searching them separately. Um, so to give you an example, um, this is actually a screenshot of the Library of Congress website, and these are all of the um, all of the different collections that they maintain. So you see that there are photographs and there are historic newspapers and also just other ca um, categories of information. So imagine that you're the Library of Congress and you maintain all of this, all of these collections. Um, and so each have their own search interfaces, they all have their own search, um, search engines, probably all designed by different people, so they don't have a common look and feel. Um, and they also are probably not tagged the same way, so they don't have the same metadata. So now imagine that you're a user of the Library of Congress, um, and you're just looking for information on the history of rock and roll or the Great Depression, um, probably a popular topic these days. Um, or maybe you're just looking for information about your grandfather who um, fought in World War I. 
Um, so the question you have is, where should I look? Um, probably for all those scenarios, you could look in multiple of these collections. So, and in the past, you would have to go into each of them and search them separately. Uh, but with MetaSearch, you would be able to just do one search, and it would search across all of these sources. So um, with this capability, a lot of user interface design issues arise. Um, for example, it's going to take longer. Um, this, a typical meta search is going to take longer than a typical Google search. Um, so how do you communicate that to users who are impatient? Um, users these days are not uh, used to waiting a long time for, for a search. They're used to Google. That comes pretty quickly. Um, you're also going to have more results when you're searching for our, um, through all these different collections, you're going to have more results. And they're, they're probably going to be, um, or they possibly could be different media types. So how do you display the results so that users can easily um, determine what's going to be relevant for them? Um, users also want to interact with the results. So how are you going to uh, make that available for them? And also, um, since you're looking at different sources, do users really care which source their results are coming from? So those are some of the issues that I'm going to talk about today. Um, and actually, at UserWorks, we've had the opportunity, uh, especially within the past year, we've looked at and tested a number of meta search interfaces. Um, and so there definitely seems to be a trend. We're seeing more and more of these. So for example, in the past um, year, we've, we've looked at um, search interfaces for the Library of Congress, uh, the Nas uh, National Institutes of Health Library, and the um, American Chemical Society. And for all of those projects, they were all um, standard one-on-one -on -one usability tests where we gave them scenario-based tasks um, to complete. And we also invited them to, um, to do a, a search that, that would be relevant to them. Um, the differences were mainly just in the number of participants that we tested and also the audience, um, which did turn out to be important. Um, the Library of Congress was basically just general public. Um, NIH Library was uh, medical researchers who were very used to searching on a daily basis. Um, and ACS was um, chemistry professionals. And we looked at both, both prototypes and functional websites. Um, so just to give you an idea of what some of the interfaces look like that we looked at, um, I'll just go through a few screenshots. Um, and you might not be able to read it too clearly, but just kind of take a look at um, the, the different designs, the different visual designs. And I'll point out a few of the features that we'll talk about. Um, so for the Library of Congress, it's, it's really just, you just start out with a simple search box on any of their web pages. And then the search results page, you can see on the left-hand side, you can select the source. So you can select which sources you'd like it to, to search. Um, there are also some recommended links at the top, and so we'll talk about that as well. Um, for the NIH Library Project, we actually looked at three different interfa interfaces. Um, one was uh, a prototype, and that's this one, and two were functional websites. Um, so that's an example of the, the initial search page. Um, there are some categories that are actually also repeated at the top of the of the results page. And so based on the category that you picked, it would search different um, databases, a different subset of databases. Um, this screenshot was also taken during a search, so you see the progress bar. And also on the results page, you see um, clusters where users can filter their results. Um, and just take a look at 
how these results are displayed as opposed to some of the others that we're looking at. For the second NIH library site, we looked at science.gov, which is um, a public-facing uh, functional site. Um, a fairly similar setup to the other NIH um, interface that we looked at. We've got the clusters um, a little bit more in the display of the results. This also um, had a sort feature and a limit feature where you could sort by different things like uh, rank or date and also a limit feature where you could limit to a certain source. Um, it also had an advanced search. Um, and the third NIH was um, the site that we looked at was Cytopia. And again, you can see a, just a different visual design. Uh, again, it has the clusters um, and the, a little bit more in the results display. And there are also some tabs at the top. And if you can't see what it says, um, the first tab is society documents. That's the main bulk of what they were searching. And there are patents and government documents. So it, it split up the results based on the type of result. And finally, for the American Chemical Society, um, it was another uh, functional website. And they just had, they also had a simple um, search box at the top of each page. And so you also see that they're using tabs on their results page uh, based on the source. And they also have some of those featured links. Um, so the results that we saw, we saw some meta search specific results, um, specific to some of those issues that we, I talked about at the beginning. Uh, but we, we also saw some issues with just general search that could apply to any, any search interface. So we'll look at some of those as well. So um, to jump right into some of the meta search issues, um, the first one being that meta search is going to take a lot more time. So how do you communicate that to the user? Um, and unfortunately, the internet is not working, so I can't show you exactly how a lot of the interfaces um, handled that. But here's a, a screenshot. And what would happen is you would do a search, and it would, uh, once it, it got through most of the sources, for example, on uh, science.gov, it was searching about 38 sources. And so it would get through about 30, and it would start displaying the results. And up in the right corner, there was a little thing that said, uh, 35 out of 38 sources have been searched, but users didn't see that. So when the page loaded, they thought that was all the results. So they would start um, scrolling, finding some interesting articles. They may even use the filters. And then after maybe about a minute of um, looking through, they would get this pop-up box. And it basically just says that we've found more results in those last three sources. Um, do you want us to include them or do you want us to leave them out? And so users were completely confused by this. Well, first of all, when, when they saw a pop-up, they do what most users are going to do. They went immediately to the X and just closed it out. They didn't even read it. So after a little while, um, we would have to probe them and, and ask them to, to read it and try to get their thoughts on it. And they were just confused. They weren't sure where these results were coming from, um, if, they were, if they were important. Um, a lot of them said, well, yes, I'm looking for all, all the results that I, that I can get, so I would include them, but I've already found an article here that was interesting, so if I include them, am I going to lose that? So all in all, this was just not a good way to handle that. And so actually all of the participants uh, unanimously said that they would rather wait for a complete set of results. They would rather wait a few more seconds 
for a complete set of results, then handle it that way with the partial set of results. But the best way to justify to the user why it's taking a long time is to show them some sort of progress bar, show them this is how much longer you're gonna have to wait, um, and show them why it's taking long. So show them all those sources that it's, that it's searching so that they understand <coughs> why it's taking longer. Um, and so another issue with meta search is advanced search. And a lot of the users did want to see an advanced search. Um, there, a lot of users are, are used to um, using that, especially those NIH medical researchers. They're used to going to PubMed every day and using a very extensive advanced search. So now the thing with meta search is that since we're searching all those different sources, they're gonna be tagged differently. And so the metadata is not gonna match up. So there are some technical limitations and sometimes advanced search is not gonna be as possible as it would be with one set collection. Um, but it is good to try to um, offer an advanced search, even if it's um, for each individual source. Um, so those users who are comfortable with using advanced search can. Um, and when you use an advanced search, it's important to put it in a prominent location so those users who wanna see it can find it easily. Um, and offer some type of help so that they know what to put into each field. Um, for example, these, some of these fields were confusing to the users. Um, they were not intuitive. They weren't sure what to put in a record field or a summary or an affiliation field. So it might even be helpful to have a help, um, a help section or um, just an example of the type of text that you would put in there. Um, so as far as this issue with do users even care about where, where the results are coming from, um, for the most part, most users didn't seem to care where each specific result was coming from. Um, they did like to see what sources were being searched, but they didn't absolutely need to see what source this particular result was from. Um, there was an exception, of course, again, those NIH medical researchers um, they did often want to see what result or what source it was coming from. But if you think about, if you're looking for information on your grandfather's war records, um, you probably don't care which of those Library of Congress sources it's coming from. But an NIH researcher who's looking for information on her topic um, might be more interested in not only finding um, information that's relevant to her topic, but also what sorts of publications will publish information. So she knows kind of where to go when she's ready to publish as well. So that's an instance where they would want to see that. So it's, it's good in general just to, to show which sources are being searched. I mean, also let them modify, um, let them say, well, I don't need to search this one, but actually add this one in. So give them a little control over what's being searched. Um, and as far as interacting with the results, um, more and more these days users are, like to interact with their results and filter them in different ways. Um, sometimes they just refine their results by searching within the set of results that they've already received. Um, or they might want to add or remove um, some of the sources like I talked about in the previous slide. Um, and they also like uh, that idea of filters or those clusters that we saw. And so we'll go into a little more detail about those. But in general, you just want to give them options to interact um, in different ways and be able to narrow down to the most relevant results for them. As far as these, as these filters, um, 
again, I can't show you exactly um, how they work since the internet's not working, but um, as far as the functionality, from the users we talked to, the most important categories of those clusters um, were topic, author, and date. So they wanted to be able to filter out based on the subject or the topic. They wanted to look at um, some sub subtopics. Um, they also want to be able to filter by author and filter by date. So maybe they want to look at results in a specific date range. Um, and, the, and the good and bad here is, is more in the display of them, um, which I'll talk about on the next slide. But um, you also want to allow the users to remove a filter once it's been selected. So if they, if they had selected um, cancer prevention in this first a screenshot, and then they also wanted to look at um, an author, a specific author within that cancer prevention. Um, and then they went to that author and decided they wanted to look at all the results from that author. They should be able to go back and remove the cancer prevention filter. Um, on some sites you see um, that there are, they kind of put all the filters at the top with a little X, and so that would be a good way to show users how they can remove filters. Um, Another thing to let them do is to allow them to select from more than one category. So like I mentioned, they can select a topic cluster as well as an author cluster, rather than selecting a topic cluster and then when they click an author, it just removes the topic cluster. So that's, and that's how they expect it to work. So if it doesn't work that way, they'll be confused. Um, as far as how to display the clusters, um, it's important to show a clear hierarchy. So you can kind of see in these two screenshots that the one on the right just is a little cleaner and it's a little easier to tell what categories go with, with what other categories. Um, the icons or the bullet um, icons that you use are also important. The plus minus is good to show them that, that you can expand the groups. Um, the open bullet points on, on the left one were very confusing to users. They thought it was um, like check boxes that they could select them, and they weren't sure what, the, what they could actually click. Um, another issue we saw was the use of um, an ellipsis in those labels. So for instance, if I searched cancer, and some of the topic clusters were cancer prevention, uh, cancer patients, cancer therapy, um, and things like that, if if that entire label didn't fit in the column, what they would do is they would display it as cancer dot dot dot, cancer dot dot dot, cancer dot dot dot, which is completely useless to, to the users because they couldn't tell the difference between the, the, um, the three of them. So you want to obviously avoid that and make sure that the whole label is being displayed. Um, and on a search results page, it's going to be full of links. Um, especially if you're using clusters like this and featured links and everything. So you want to avoid overuse of that, of the blue hyperlinks. Um, you want to show them somehow that, that they're clickable, but you, you don't necessarily need to use that blue hyperlink text. Um, so the basic thing is that you just want to make sure it's clear and, and it's easy to understand where each of those categories lies. Yes. Yes. Um, I, th I believe they do. 
I think both of these do. The, we did look at others that didn't allow that. I'm sorry, she asked um, that she wanted to clarify that we do want to allow them to uh, select something from the topic cluster as well as the author cluster. Um, and that's how users expect it to work, so that you can narrow it down rather than switching from one filter to another. Um, and I believe both of these did do that, but we looked at others that didn't. Um, now, as far as some of those general um, search findings that we found um, in these studies, regarding search terms, um, a lot of the users used descriptive terms in their, um, in their search terms. So they would say books about World War I, which, um, so a, a, search, um, a search engine should be smart enough to understand that they're looking for books, um, not necessarily um, um, results that have the word books and the word about and the, word, and the words World War I. So it needs to be smart enough to understand that. Sometimes they would also put a specific journal name or a specific source in there as well. Um, they also misspell, and they misspell a lot, especially at NIH with all those um, science terms. Um, and they also use Boolean logic. Um, a lot of users have learned how to use those. So the meta search um, capability should be able to um, should be able to to use those search terms and, and get relevant results. Um, so again, they expect it um, to check their spelling and they expect it to support Boolean logic. And basically, if Google does it, they expect that your search engine is going to be able to do it as well. Um, so if you, so with the spell checks um, in the thesaurus, you want to make sure that it's prominent enough that people can use it, so that people can see it, so that they can use it. Um, for example, this one was actually up in the right corner, and it was it was very small text, and most users did not even notice it, so they just saw all these irrelevant results based on their misspelled word. So just make sure it's prominent enough that you can see it. Um, as far as just displaying results, um, we also found that users will assume that those featured links or the recommended links at the very top of the results, they will skip right over them because they assume that they're advertisements. Um, they also skim results um, and they'll skip any items that don't look relevant. So you want to make sure make sure that it's easy for them to figure out what um, results are going to be relevant for them. Um, and so to do that, you want to include text extracts so they can quickly just read through that and see what the result is about and see if it's relevant. Um, another good way is to include highlighted keywords so they want to see how the keywords that they used are used in, in the title as well as in the, uh, in the extract. And they expect that the results are going to be sorted by relevancy as well. Um, so the main differences that we saw um, throughout, for all the issues, was between, was based on the audience and based on whether they were unsophisticated searchers or sophisticated searchers. Um, and basically, the unsophisticated searchers care about um, getting good results and relevant results as quickly as possible. And so sophisticated searchers care about that but they also care, they want to see what sources are being searched. So it's good to just include that anyway. And they also want to see those advanced search options because they're used to using them. Um, 
so just to kind of recap some of the some of the issues and some of the suggestions. So things to keep in mind, basically for any search interface, is to um, include that spell check in the thesaurus and make sure that it's prominent so the users can see it um, and support the Boolean logic. And um, for, the, for displaying results, you want, um, Cytopia actually did a, a nice job of displaying them where they highlighted the keywords and they had a nice text extract and just um, the layout of it was very easy to read. And you also notice that there's not a lot of uh, blue hyperlink text as well. So it was just kind of easier to look at. As far as specific to meta search um, interfaces, probably the most important one is um, displaying that progress indicator and showing them what sources are being searched and why it's taking a little bit longer time um, and telling them how much more time it's gonna take. Um, offer an advanced search, even if it's just in between, or for each individual source. Um, display the hierarchy in a clear and well-defined way. And show the sources that are being searched. Um, and, and allow them to modify them as well, so that they can um, determine which ones are gonna be searched. Um, so it's important to also just consider the sophistication of your of your users and who's going to be using the the interface and of course do that user testing because you will you will learn a lot from it again i'm a usability person so and just some some issues that we might be seeing in the future well, i'm sure we'll be seeing a lot of these in the future regarding meta search um our personalization of um of the search results, being able to ser save search terms or um, email results to yourself. Also RSS feeds that will email updates if something related to your search has been, um, has been updated in one of the sources that'll email you a notice. Um, Geo proximity, which would take into account um, where, where you are in the world and it might um, cater the results to that. Um, also, multimedia databases and how to communicate to the user what the different media types are. Um, we're from the users we talked to, they mentioned that they are willing to wait for the results, but we still don't know exactly how long they're willing to wait. So that's a good thing to, to be able to test, as well as how to implement um, advanced search based on the, the different meta tagging um, <coughs> that they do throughout all the sources. And so, so basically, meta search interfaces raise additional um, issues, but they also sometimes just heighten some of those general search interface issues as well. And I mean, as you can see, there's there's plenty of work still to be done um, in the meta search um, uh, industry. So, especially with the interface. And so, I think we have a couple minutes. Um, I welcome any questions. I'm also interested in. Um, any of you who have worked with meta search interfaces and if there are any issues that I didn't cover? Yeah. Um, so he asked about, the ones that we looked at were, was very structured data. And so he asked about if some of these um, issues might carry over into more unstructured data like searching blogs you mentioned. Um, right, right. Well, I think it, would, it definitely would affect the clusters. Um, you probably wouldn't have the, the author um, clusters um, it probably, you might have other cluster categories that might be 
um, more useful. I would think the topic would still be more useful. Um, we actually didn't, haven't looked at any of those type of unstructured, but I can imagine that a lot of the same things, a lot of the same issues would crop up, um, but the clusters would be the one that I could see being the most different. Yeah? Okay, so she asked about the difference between the unsophisticated and the sophisticated users, um, and, and whether they get different types of results based on how they search. Um, well, again, the sophisticated users that we were working with were um, specifically at NIH, and um, so they were, they, they typically did find information that was useful for them as long as the filters were working the way that they expected, um, so based on what interface, what the interface was doing. Um, but they were also, um, they were also a lot more critical about the results. Um, some of them would actually, as we were going through, because they're doing search, um, search, searches on these topics every day, especially the, the user-defined tasks that we had them do, and so they would actually find some things they hadn't found before, and they would quickly jot them down so that they could look them up again. Um, so I think the filters helped them a lot so that they could look at some of just the different categories and how the search engine actually categorized um, the topic that they were searching. So that was um, a particularly useful thing for the sophisticated searchers. Um, I don't know if that, does that answer your question a little bit? Okay. So she asked if, if the sophisticated or the unsophisticated searchers were more satisfied. Um, I have to say I'm more familiar with the NIH study than I am with the other two, but um, from what I understand, I believe as long as the interface worked the way that they expected, um, they were satisfied across the board. Um, so they were able to find the information that they needed. That's a good point. How do we define sophisticated? Um, I think our own definition, it's not necessarily a definition across the board. Um, but for us, sophisticated searchers were those who, who often, who did searching on a daily basis pretty much, so who searched very often. Um, and so that's those, those medical researchers were searching, uh, and they were searching at, on those specific topics as well. So some of the Library of Congress um, and the ACS, they weren't necessarily um, searching those topics every day. So they, we wouldn't consider them as, as sophisticated. So they weren't as familiar with, um, with how to search. So, Sometimes they didn't use the Boolean um, terms as well. Yes, yeah, I would agree with that. So it's more kind of daily users um, versus more infrequent searchers. Mm -hmm. um, they were actually being indexed by the separate sources. Um, yeah, and then the, the meta search was, was looking at all of those results and aggregating them. That's a good question um, about the, the trade-off between the simplicity of the UI and the sophistication of the, of the search engine. Um, we didn't look too much into it, but I guess just looking at some of the, the visual design, you saw that some of like the Library of Congress and the ACS were not quite as, um, as sophisticated. They didn't have the clusters. Um, it was more just the sources and um, the display of the results. Um, so I would say, I don't know. Um, 
it's, that's a good question. I'm not sure where the line is drawn. Now, some of the people who were using the, the, the interfaces with the clusters and the more features, um, they didn't necessarily always use the clusters. So if they found something um, based on just sorting or um, just refining their results, then that's what they did. So some of them, if they didn't see a need with the clusters, they would just ignore them. So, so maybe even if it is more sophisticated and has those extra features, users can just ignore them if they don't need them. The same with the advanced search as well. Yeah. Um, well, with the, with the users that we, that we talked to, um, a lot of them did use the clusters. They would type in their initial search, um, and then they would start using the clusters to narrow down to a result. Um, now, when the clusters weren't available, then they would go and try to refine their, their search, and they would change their search terms. Um, so I would say that the, the clusters on the left-hand side were, were highly used. I believe it was based on relevancy. So they kind of looked at um, how relevant they were from each source and then integrated them that way. Um, I'm not exactly sure how, how the search engines work, but that's a very good question. And that was a question that a lot of the users had, um, especially if they saw some results that they didn't think were, were relevant. They had questions about how, how relevancy was, was determined as well. So that's a good question. Yeah. As some of the interfaces did not offer an advanced search, and um, in particular in the NIH study, and those, I, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of them were immediately looking for the advanced search first. So they didn't see it on the front page, and so they said, well, I would normally go to advanced search, but I guess I just have to use this. And that's a lot of times when they would say books about World War I. They would use those descriptive terms in lieu of an advanced search. We actually found that as well. Um, yeah, that, that they did not see the tabs until we pointed them out. Um, again, our sophisticated or, or daily um, search users, um, they were familiar with Mesh specifically. Um, and they were looking for that as well. One of the interfaces did incorporate um, a mesh thesaurus. Um, it was not very prominent, so users didn't exactly see it. Um, but I would say some of those, uh, those sophisticated users were looking for that, the controlled vocabularies. Yep. Um, she's asking about the blue hyperlinks. Um, to be honest, we were really just looking at the search results page, so we didn't really um, get to hear anything about their opinions outside of that. Um, so I think it was because there were so many links on that page and all of them were that blue hyperlink text that it was a little overwhelming for them. And they found that the, the interfaces that didn't use that blue text on every link um, was just easier to look at. Yes, a lot of them used black or the, with the highlight, highlight keywords. And a lot of them would, when you scroll over, it would underline, or some of them would just be underlined anyway, um, just to show that it, that it is a link. Yes? Um, we didn't explore too much. She asked about uh, personalization um, of some of the results. Uh, we didn't explore much of the functionality of that, but we did try to get um, user interest in that. And that, that did seem to be something that a lot of um, users are interested in, and they felt that 
they would they would find value in that, especially those sophisticated daily searchers who are kind of always looking for updated information. And rather than going back and searching again every time, uh, they just want to get the RSS feeds or they want to be able to um, send all the results to their email. So they did find, they did think that they would find that very useful. I think we're about out of time. All right, well, thank you very much. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesnarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.